In our series on 1 Peter, we've moved on to chapter 2 and verse 4, which has been entitled, Stand Strong, Building Together. Keith reminded us last week that the foundation is hope. If we don't have hope, and furthermore, hope in the kingdom of God, anything else we do is essentially futile. Chapter 2 starts with a therefore. Therefores are as significant as buts in the Bible. It's short for having considered this, the first part of the letter. Peter wants us to move on and consider how we would then live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And the first thing he emphasizes is that we need to change direction. Rid yourselves, he says, of all malice and deceit and so on, and take on the new life which you, to which you have been called. Peter explains it like this. You, or, you already have been forgiven these things by your salvation, and you, in fact, have been born again as babies. And what does a baby need? Food. So that they will grow up. And spiritual babies like you and me, they're no different. We all should stand on the same hope. But we also need to move on to consider how we can build on that hope and therefore do God's will. But how do we build? It seems to me that the foundation is critical in any building. The ancient builders and that, for that matter modern builders as well understood the importance of the good foundation. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 7 about two builders. One didn't understand the importance of a good foundation and simply started building with no foundation at all. But the other one built his house upon the rock. And you can guess which one endured. The best and indeed the only foundation is Jesus Christ. If you build your life upon any other foundation, you are quite simply wasting your time. Verse 4 talks about Jesus as the living stone. 
Peter knew all about stones. After all, he was named after a stone. Peter, Cephas, it means stone. His original name was Simon. Peter was a nickname that Jesus gave him. He grew into that name when Jesus originally gave it to him. Anybody less stone-like was hard to imagine. Simon went when the wind took him, it's fair to say. But the new Peter grew more and more stone-like. Not a dead stone, but a living stone, as is, is described in verse 5. It goes like this. First is Christ, as verse 4 says, rejected by humans, but chosen by God. And steadily we come to him to get transformed into living stones ourselves. Not a dead building, but a living breathing priesthood and what does a priesthood do but to offer sacrifices and the sacrifice we offer is our lives offered through Christ our Redeemer to God it's not immediately obvious at least in the NIV translation but this passage contains three Old Testament quotes. Whenever you encounter double quotation marks in the course of reading this passage, you know that that marks the start of another quote from the Old Testament. So, the first occurs in verse 6. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. It's from Isaiah 28, verse 16. Cornerstone is a word that which has, to a certain extent, fallen out of use. But the original meaning of cornerstone, it was the stone that is placed first, and from which all other stones in the building, so to speak, take their lead. In other words, if the cornerstone is wrong, Everything is in the building is wrong. It went something like this. For the ancient builders, they got a load of stone delivered from the local builder's merchant and they looked it over, searching for the largest, truest stone among them. And that 
they select it as the cornerstone. It's the same in the church of Jesus Christ. But God is the builder and only one stone will do as the cornerstone and that's God's Son, Jesus Christ himself. And all of us living stones of whatever shape and size need to get fitted in to Christ, our rock and our redeemer. In a way, it's what I was talking about at the beginning. As long as we are built on Christ and trust in him, we will never be put to shame, no matter what. I sometimes forget that, but God never does. Verse 7 contains the second quote. Psalm 118 verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This verse is no doubt familiar to Peter. Jesus himself quoted it in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 42 in connection with the story about the tenants in the vineyard and how they rejected first of all God's servants and ultimately his son. And Peter quoted it in his sermon in Acts chapter 4 directly saying in verse 11 Jesus is the stone which has become the cornerstone. If you're reading it in some translations it says the capstone or the head of the corner. But don't run away with the notion that there are any sense different. The essential meaning is the same, the cornerstone. People build on many cornerstones in many different ways. But Peter points out the only true cornerstone is Jesus. Now, to you who believe, this is key, if you build on anything else but Christ, you are ultimately wasting your time. But if you build on the precious cornerstone, that is Christ, you will never absolutely never be put to shame. The third Old Testament quote occurs in verse 8. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. It's taken from Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 14. And Paul refers to it in the letter to the Romans. 
Whether Peter had read the letter to the Romans, we are not sure, but it was certainly referred to widely in the early church. The people of Israel had rejected Jesus for the most part, and the prophecy of Isaiah, therefore, applied to them. And Peter makes plain in verse 8 that some people fail to build on Christ and instead they view Christ as a hindrance. We will say a trip hazard because they fail to understand the message of the risen and glorified Christ. What is our reaction to that? Surely that we need to proclaim the message of Christ all the more whilst there is still time. Verse 9 contains a but. Therefore a but, all in the same paragraph, you're spoiled. The meaning of the but is this, but rejoice that this does not apply to you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I don't know if you necessarily feel like it at the moment. But you are, believe me. What you feel at the moment doesn't affect the truth of that statement. All of which is summarised by verse 10. Once you were not a people. In other words, you were simply a collection of individuals. But now you are the people of God. Do you understand the importance of that statement? God has gathered you together, redeemed by Christ, under God's grace, and loved by God. And what is more than that is open to everyone on earth if they will simply come to Jesus. When they built the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton, Illinois, they incorporated a feature. I've never seen it, but I know it's present. I'm told you go through a passageway of total darkness into a room filled with light, symbolizing the rebirth that every Christian must go through. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received 
mercy. Amen.